Hello and welcome to the next episode of Performance Marketing Unlocked. Today's guest is Duarte Garrido, Global Head of Omnichannel Activation at Standard Chartered Bank. And he has had a winding and colourful career from chef to journalist into social media at Sky, Philip Morris and Coca-Cola HBC. So I guess it doesn't really get much more omni-channel than that, does it? With all the kind of varying experiences you have. Hi, Edward. Welcome to the Unlocked Studio. How are you doing? Hi, Lucy. Thank you for having me. I'm doing very well. Thank you. And that is true. That's uh, it's pretty much as omni-channel as you can. I know. We were talking before we started recording about just the kind of the, the drastic changes. I mean, I'd love to hear more about your time as a chef in Lisbon. I wonder, does any of your experience as a chef fed into your professional experience as a marketer at all? A hundred percent. That's actually that's actually a question that I've I've been asked a couple of times. And um and yes, it has. I think it gave me two things really. One of them was a sense of work ethic, which uh was really important when I was a, a young boy studying to be a chef and quite wild in my younger years. It must be the profession where you get the most discipline other than probably the military, right? And um, and then on top of that, it was, you know, the concept of the French brigade of, you know, each person being in charge of its workstation, having a specific, so dividing the kitchen by capability rather than by function is something that I've actually brought in uh, to craft marketing teams. Um, I now have very much a French brigade mentality when I'm putting together a cross-functional marketing team in which each sort of person is in charge of its own party. Mm. Um, all right, yeah. So you you have all your all your sous working. Uh, exactly, to, all my sous. <laughs> to make the perfect dish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Thwart, what have you chosen to unlock in the studio with us today? So the topic I chose was brand to demand. And it's not a new topic, but I think it's a topic that's that needs rethinking considering the current economical crisis that we've already entered. The reason why is, you know, the, the debate brand versus demand is an old one within the marketing function. Um, and it's one that I've never cared for very much, to be honest, because I've I've never seen it as an either or. I've always seen brand and demand as complementary of each other. But right now, as with any crisis and any sort of um, situation where companies are being forced to trim budgets, it is custom to trim more towards the brand side because there's less obvious and direct or directly attributed return on investment and be a little bit more permissive on the demand side of things because it gives you those quick returns or at least the illusion of quick returns. But we can get to that in a second. So right now, I think we need to take a step back and really rethink what does brand to demand mean? How can I apply it in my marketing strategy uh, and how can I ensure that I don't tend too much towards one and ignore the other? Because you're completely right. I mean, we 
produce uh, you know many events all across the year, including our um, well, our namesake, Performance Marketing Unlocked, which is our annual two-day event in March. And it's such a top. It's such a common topic of questioning, isn't it? What What are the What are the ratios? What's your split going to be of brand performance, brand demand? And, and and like you said, it's it's about a complementary relationship. It's not about an either or. Why do you think people are so hung up about separating these two channels? A simple answer to that, and I think that what you're talking about is a seventy thirty split, right? Which every marketer kind of adopts. Uh, and I think the reason why then. Uh, some teams go more towards the brand side and others more towards the performance side is usually it's got usually to do with their CMO because CMOs are in my experience they either come from brand or from performance and it's their job to catch up on the other side of things because this is this is very much a kind of a left and right brain situation they they are different. Um, mindsets, different strategies, and most importantly, different hard skills, right? You do need to be, first and foremost, a creative to really understand brand. And you do need to be, first and foremost, a data-driven person or a data scientist to really understand performance. But having said that, it is the role of the CMO to now compensate whatever uh, hers or his traditional background is compensate that with further learning. But some of them don't, and then they reshape the teams around them um, on, on the basis of what they know and what, they, and what they're comfortable in. But the big difference between brand versus performance and brand to demand is when I talk about brand to demand, that is, in a way, it's something, it's a mindset. It's something that you adapt to everything that you do. I can tell you right now that there's a very um, controversial quick fix that I'm going to give you, which is I think we need to dial down or turn off completely our paid always on uh, during times of crisis. And I know that we've, as a function, um, gotten very used to always on, and it's something that everyone agrees that is the best course of action. My opinion is that that was propelled by platforms whose always on um, gives them a bit more stable cash. Um, you know, it, it serves Meta and LinkedIn and other platforms right that their clients have an always on approach to paid media. I don't have to explain why that is. Uh, but And I think it's been fruitful in many ways. But in times of crisis, what will happen is you will be asked by your senior leadership team, if you're a CMO, by your CFO, your CEO, if you're a marketing director or social media manager, by your CMO, right? You will be asked to prove the value of your paid media budget. And in an always-on approach, it's very hard to give you that direct return on investment. It is very hard, particularly if your always-on is a mixture of brand and performance. If you leave always-on to organic and you play 
with the platform's own algorithm to be able to deliver your organic content to your intended audiences. And that's possible because, as we know, platforms have pivoted from the personal graph to the interest graph, right? That means that we are now being fed content based on what we're interested in. So if you get to know your audiences and what they're interested in, you can play uh, with the platform's algorithm to deliver content organically to your intended audience. So you can do that on an always-on basis. And that will build credibility over time, will build trust, will keep your audiences warm, interested, and engaged. So you will be able to still do that without pouring money into it. And then you channel all your paid media to campaigns. And these campaigns are not one-and-done pushes uh, on either demand or brand. They need to be tracked and built on a brand-to-demand basis. So these need to be integrated campaigns. They need to start with a brand push to a bigger audience pool and then go further down the funnel to engage and convert and track all the way down from top of funnel to bottom of funnel, from brand, from brand to demand. And you can that way measure the impact of your, of your brand campaigns by doing brand uplift studies once that top of funnel is done and dusted. And then you can retarget people with engaged content for that middle of the funnel for an extended period of time to ensure that they've not just got to know your brand and recognize your brand, but are actually creating affinity with it. And then finally, when you're ready, when actually when your audience is ready, when they're warm, when you've given them a lot without asking anything back, then you push to demand, right? Then you push to performance marketing. And that is a very clean, very strategic way to, one, get better bang for your buck. And second, be able to then, once the campaign is over, go to your senior leadership, show the value of everything that you're doing from brand all the way down to conversion. Well, I mean, in the first five minutes of the podcast, we've just had the most amazing masterclass on how to make it all work. Because that is one of the, uh, it's, you know, marrying your CMO and your CFO um, and, and, and proving the worth of everything you're doing, isn't it? The efficiency of it. Um, and I think that probably especially rings true when new channels are emerging and you want to innovate and you want to be part of them by giving all this detail makes the proposition all more appealing it does it really does and you can do you know brand to demand can be um it can be constrained to one channel if you want to keep it really clean and lean right or it can be a multi-channel approach so you can you know you can start with social move on to programmatic um, you can mix and match. And this is a way for testing and learning as well, right? Because while but while you're testing and learning, it's not a classic test and learn program in which you have a budget and the sole purpose of that budget is to be spent on learnings, on success or failure. No, this is a, these are campaigns with a specific objective or specific objectives, plural, that will hopefully deliver that So you will put effort into what you're doing. You will be strategic. You will be scientific. You will put 
forward the best creative, but it allows you to do that for four, six months, whatever, and then learn, right? Because then you go back to those audiences. And the, the benefit of social against everything else, against programmatic, against TV, is that your prospect audience and your actual audience are the same, which doesn't happen with programmatic or TV, right? You've got your, um, your potential audience pool, which is usually huge, specifically when it comes to TV. Uh, but then you'll see that actually what it is is really expensive because the people who actually engage or the people who actually view your ads are much less than what those, um, than what those media buyers want to make you believe. But on social, it's actually very similar. So your actual audience, basically you get what you pay for, right? And it's very easy to then, once the campaign is over, to then look back and get some really valuable insights on what audiences are working and what audiences aren't and pivot. Mm -hmm. And so your experience has spanned several different industries. Have you seen the uh, the omnichannel mix change drastically between them? Or would you say that there is, in some cases, a kind of a winning combination? I've seen different mixes. I, I, I think there probably has less to do with the industry and more to do with um, whether, for instance, they're B2B or B2C. Um, you know, B2B traditionally tends more towards platforms like LinkedIn. B2C is enamored with, uh, you know, Instagram and, uh, well, meta platforms in general. So you see a big difference there. The chasm is shrinking in a way. You now see, so for instance, big TV ads, well, you, you see B2B companies now buying $7 million Super Bowl spots, right? You didn't see that before. So um, things are changing, but you still see a different media mix, um, and a different channel mix. Um, and another thing that I've definitely witnessed firsthand is that it really depends on what the company is trying to achieve. Because what I've learned is that you can spend media budgets trying to acquire customers, but you can also spend media budgets trying to gain trust and reputation. Uh, you can spend media budgets trying to grab attention. Um, you can spend media budgets trying to um, win on vanity metrics that don't really move the needle in your business. That happens, um, I'd say, way too often. You've got marketing teams or most commonly comms teams, right, who, who are given media budgets to just spend uh, on social uh, because the money's there. And then they look at things like brand awareness or reach or even like likes and comments. And, and they report on that as measurements of success. And then eventually what happens is the business looks at that and goes like, this means nothing to me. Mm -hmm. right, so, um, <laughs> so when it's time to shut down something, mm -hmm. they know what to shut down. But I'd like to move on to the main chunk of our podcast, which is where we talk about your ratings of the industry. And I'd like you to talk about something you think is overrated and something you think is underrated. So shall we start with something that you think is overrated at the moment? I think I'm going to go back to brand versus performance, not wanting to sound like a broken record. <laughs> but I do think that 
performance is overrated and brand is underrated. And I'll explain why. I think yes, I think our listeners are going to be eager to hear this, considering this is a performance marketing podcast. <laughs> I know, I know, and I'm sorry about that. But I'll I'll tell you why. I think it's a, it's it's a symptom of this specific moment in time that we're living in. I think that we are overrating performance because, again, it gives us that very uh, tangible bang for buck. Um, but while we're doing that during a crisis, especially if you're a B two C brand. What what happens during a crisis? People are a bit more timid in spend, right? So they usually spend less. If people spend less and you are doubling up on your performance marketing, you're probably doing your brand a disservice. Probably what you should be doing right now is invest a little bit more on the brand side of things because you, what you want to do is during the time that your customer isn't spending, as much at least, you want to ensure that your brand stays top of mind. So when those purse strings open up again, they still remember you. So if you're cutting down brand budgets dramatically during a recession and doubling down on performance, you will see um, results um, fall short of what you expect them to in the in the short term. And then once we're over the recession, which we will be because these things are cyclical, uh, your brand will have taken a huge hit and you will lose mental space uh, against your competitors. And that's not something that you want to do. So my advice is, I'm not saying turn off performance marketing. Again, my brand to demand system doesn't allow you to turn off or on anything but it's 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 about the balance right don't over index on performance just because you want to see more results in the short term during a recession so i guess it makes uh performance marketing sound like the kind of the quick win if you want those kind of easy facts and figures um to prove the success that's what people go for but do you think this strategy this um overrating of performance channels during the time of a crisis is a blanket answer for all different types of brands industries and sectors no again i think this for this this is more of a sin of the btc um companies above everything else and i think the reason is that because they have shorter sales cycles right buying cycles they have an extra pressure of for delivering results. I think B2B traditionally they have a bit more leeway. And when recessions hit, they should, depending on the industry, they should have a couple of years um, to take deep breaths and, and, and show results. Um, having said that, there are certain SaaS companies, um, particularly small uh, startups, that will be required to show quick results in the short term, I'm sure. And those will probably fall more into that B2C trap of uh, over-indexing into performance and disregarding brand as a sort of nice to have, but not right now. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Brilliant. Well, I'll be interested to see what our listeners have to say. Please do, you know, send in your thoughts. We can ask Duarte on our group what we, uh, um, what we think of his strategies. 
But I'd like to hear more about your best practice, actually, as the esteemed guest on the podcast. Could you tell us about an, one of the most exciting projects that you have worked on and how did you get people's attention? So I guess one of the most exciting projects that I've worked on is something that I'm working on currently, actually, in my, in my current company. And, and that's, um, um, it, it is a brand-to-demand integrated marketing uh, push. And it's been really exciting because, well, first of all, uh, I, I, I was expecting, as with any big company, you expect a certain degree of uh, friction, right? a certain degree of resistance every time you try to do something uh, new or try to make something um, out of nothing. And in this case, I really didn't feel that at all. Everyone jumped on board automatically. And specifically in big companies, if you're taking an integrated marketing brand-to-demand approach, the biggest challenge is the company is so big that it is definitely, it is bound to be operating in small silos, right? Communication and alignment is your first challenge. And that's something that I've witnessed in every single company that I've worked on for. And that's because I really don't have uh, experience in small companies. I've only worked for big multinationals. So I, it, it's, it's the complex matrix organizations. Um, and, and the challenge is always communication and integration. Standard Chartered has been uh, the odd man out. Uh, it, it's been really refreshing to see how easy it is to bring everyone together and get everyone to cooperate the brand team, the, the different marketing teams, again, group to market as well, right? Getting markets on board um, on what group is doing. So that's been really, really fun and really rewarding. And um, and I'd say we're, you know, halfway through that journey uh, and already thinking of what 2.0 will look like. And do you think the um, this lack of collaboration across teams particularly kind of brand media teams um, and the siloing that happens is, again, like you were saying, it's a fault of the CMO unable to connect the two. Because like like you say, you see these the siloing happening in everywhere. It's, you know, it's talked about in every conference we go to, but yet it still seems to be a challenge that people are having to face. I don't think it's the fault of the CMO, no. I actually, I've been in big companies long enough to know it's not the fault of anyone. It is the reality of complex organizations. It's, it's about organizational structure. And usually um, organizational structure changes every couple of years, even if ever so slightly. And then you've got big sort of change management pushes. Uh, but it's a moving piece. And because it's a moving piece, it ultimately when you when you want to do something that requires you to bring different departments together, you will see that they've moved further apart just organically, just to no fault of their own, because they have their own objectives, or, you know, there's various reasons why silos emerge, but it's no one's fault that they do. It's just the nature of the corporation, I think, that it just tends to happen. So the, I think the challenge of a CMO is to rein everyone back in. It's a bit like the Pangea, right? You, 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 the continents naturally just drift apart, right? It's just movement of the ties or whatever happens, but teams move. 
And then if you want integration, it's not about going back to the single continent anymore uh, and trying to um, roll back time because that's just not going to happen. It's about building bridges. It's about connecting, not gluing everything back together because then, yes, you will uh, find friction and you will find resistance. Thank you very much. Well, uh... Lovely analogy of the. <laughs> of, Just pulled that one out of the hat. <laughs> of the marketing their teams. We have a couple of minutes left of the podcast, and we have got to the world-renowned PMW Resell Me a Pen Challenge. And this challenge is taken from the Wolf of Wall Street, where he tells people to sell a pen. But we have challenged you to resell an outdated object, which has been updated or no longer used. And this item has been chosen by our previous guest, Kate Cox, who is the CMO of AI Scale Up Brightbid. And she has chosen Friends Reunited, one of the OG social platforms how do you feel about your nomination? Uh, well, I was um, I was surprised first of all because um, uh, I've never heard of it before because I'm not I wasn't born in the UK. I was born in Portugal. I moved to the UK ten years ago, uh, and Friends Reunited is something that never um, never really entered the Portuguese market. I'm afraid, so I didn't know what it was. So I had to do some investigation, but I think I've arrived at a place where maybe I can sell it. Okay. Well, if it makes you feel any better, unfortunately, I'm too young to know what it was. So <laughs> we have a buyer and a seller that no one really knows what it is. So whether that's a, a good thing or a bad thing, time will only tell. So let, me get, let me get my timer out. And How long do I have for this, by the way? You have a strict time of only 60 seconds. Oh, my God. Okay, right. When you are ready, resell me. Friends reunited. All right. So when was the last time that you opened a social media platform and actually connected with someone who really, truly matters to you? Time spent on social media has continued to grow, but for some reason on our feeds, the people that we love are nowhere to be seen, right? We scroll through mind-numbing content, yet our lives remain pretty much the same when we close down our social media apps. Well, not with Friends Reunited. With Friends Reunited, you get the best of all worlds. It's your dating app. It's your neighborhood app. It's your community app, your job search app, your family group chat, and a real chance to reunite with those that you haven't seen in ages, but that you actually want to. So Friends Reunited is like going back in time, but to what really matters. Amazing. To be honest. Did I do it? Well, this is what you've done is I've given a social media platform to a social media expert. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. um, yeah, I think I'm going to have some emails in my inbox of people complaining saying that was, that was really unfair. That is so true though, actually. When I think of the social platforms that I use, I, not many are filtered by just your friends. I think Meta, Meta tried to do that, didn't they? I think they had tried to have a feed for just your... They did, but they pivoted away. They Basically, all of the social media platforms have now followed TikTok into that 
algorithm uh, interest graph where you're being fed content from people that you've never heard or seen before. Um, and, you know, that's uh, that presents a, a really good opportunity for companies. But for the user, I think it's a poorer experience overall, personally. That's my, my personal opinion. And I think you're definitely not alone in that opinion. Hence why Friends Reunited has just been resold. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Expect a comeback. Well, yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, platforms are coming and going all the time. So, that, I mean, maybe it's going to reemerge. It's going to come back. Duarte Garrido's Friends Reunited. <laughs> <laughs> so, Duarte, you have resold Friends Reunited. What have you chosen? What have you tasked our next guest to resell? So, I've chosen probably the item I most despise in the world, uh, the tie. The tie. The tie. Oh wow, that's that's a we haven't had an item of clothing before. I don't think that's a really good one. Yeah, and that is because, and I think it's challenging because I cannot, for the life of me, sell a tie to anyone. Explain to anyone why that is even a thing. Thank you so much for coming on, Dwight, and congratulations, you have unlocked your topic today with excellent fashion. The masterclass we had at the beginning was great. The detail that you put in there was brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Performance Marketing Unlocked. I am Lucy Shelley, the multimedia editor at Performance Marketing World. And if you head to our website, performancemarketingworld.com, you can find out everything you need to know about performance marketing news, trends, our reports, So don't forget to subscribe. Thank you very much. And don't forget to join us next time where we will be unlocking a new topic in performance marketing.